Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, Westside Range. There are only seven gun ranges in the state of New York. The one I called up last week is in the basement of a building in the Flatiron District. So, I mean, basically, that's it. You know, it's it, we're midtown in an office building, and I'd say the majority of people in the office have no idea there's actually a gun range. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, I mean, no, no one ever comes down. It's like, what is all that popping? I'm hearing. On occasion, you know, I mean, once in a blue moon. Well, listen, we've been here for over a half a century, so you know. But most people haven't the slightest clue. First of all, there's a gun range, much less in the same office building. This gun range is not quite a secret, but it's clear that in a city like New York, someone like John, a licensed gun owner who works in a gun range, he feels a little under siege. He didn't even want to give me his full name. You happen to be very pleasant, but newspaper reporters, by definition, have been so goddamn cruel down here, you know. And I've, I've never seen anything like this, you know. It's, it's, it's talk about... Anyway, that, that's my pet peeve. <laughs> okay, here's my question for you. Like, how hard is it to get a gun permit or a gun license in New York? Okay, so most people's perception is that of America, where licenses are not required most often than not. New York City is pretty different from what John calls America. Getting a license, you have to have patience. It does take time. You have to get fingerprinted. You have to get interviewed by the police. And once you buy a gun, most of the time you can only use it in your home or at a city firing range like the one John works at. Each state has, you know, they have so many different crazy laws. I mean, they're 50, 50 states, right? <laughs> so each state has within the state you have different laws, you know, so it's, you know, to be aware of all the laws you'd have to you have to amass, you know, enough information as what's contained in the Library of Congress. Gun laws in this country are a crazy mishmash of regulations. They can vary wildly from state to state, even city to city. In Texas, you can carry a gun almost anywhere, as long as you're 21 and have a license. But in New York City, transporting your own gun in your own car, that could be a felony. That's where the Supreme Court comes in. They've just agreed to take a case that looks at the city's regulations. They're going to ask, how much gun control is too much gun control? Slate's Mark Joseph Stern is here to explain how this case might change things for the rest of the country. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
The Supreme Court hasn't taken on a gun case for years, but all of a sudden they decided to take on this New York City law. We're going to get into why this is happening now, but first it helps to have some basic gun law vocab. New York's law, it restricts where you can take your gun, where you can publicly carry. This law runs counter to what a lot of other states are up to. Some places have what's called concealed carry, where you can have your gun out with you, but people can't see it. It's got to be like under your coat or something. Other states allow open carry. That means you can have a gun on you, but it has to be visible to the public. But in New York, where it's hard to do either of those, Slate's Mark Joseph Stern says it's in the NRA's crosshairs. So here in D.C., we had a law that banned concealed carry. The D.C. Circuit struck down that law. And now, thanks to that decision, we do permit concealed carry. California has a law that bans concealed carry. The Ninth Circuit upheld that law, said it was perfectly constitutional to ban concealed carry. Hawaii has a law that bans open carry. The Ninth Circuit struck down that law. So according to the Ninth Circuit, concealed carry laws are constitutional. You can ban concealed carry, but open carry laws that ban you from openly carrying your gun, those are unconstitutional. This kind of makes it like a perfect storm to go to the Supreme Court. Totally. These decisions don't make any sense. These are different judges with different mindsets on guns, just coming to different policy conclusions and trying to tie their decisions to what the Supreme Court has said about the Second Amendment. And the reality is that the Supreme Court has said very little about the Second Amendment. The Supreme Court said in 2008 and 2010 that under the Second Amendment, no state or local government nor the federal government can prohibit law-abiding adults from keeping a handgun in their home. That is the extent of those decisions. There's all kinds of language explaining, you know, this is limited to inside one's residence, you know, a man's home is his castle, blah, blah, blah. So the court has not heard a Second Amendment case since 2010. And so the big question that the lower courts have been grappling with is, even though these decisions expressly limited their holdings to guns in the home, does the logic of a fundamental right to self-defense really sort of exit the front door and extend out into the streets? And that is where the courts have split. New York City has this particularly strict law on the books. Basically, anyone who's non-law enforcement has to have what's called a premise license to have a gun. And you can only take your gun outside if you're on your way to and from an authorized shooting range in the city, like that Midtown range I called earlier. This is how we have ourselves a juicy little Supreme Court story in the making. The New York State affiliate of the NRA is suing over this law. They say it's way too restrictive. It is a very stringent law, and there's some important background on this particular law that helps to shed light on why it exists in the first place. New York City obviously has long had a problem with gun violence, particularly handgun violence, and the uh, law enforcement officers and lawmakers have experimented with different ways to try to limit gun deaths. In the olden days, not too long ago, this law did not exist, and a, a more lenient one governed taking your gun outside of your home. Now, New York 
states, bars concealed carry. So in New York, whether you're in the city or in Albany or in upstate New York, you are not allowed to just walk around with your gun holstered on your belt uh, underneath your coat, ready to shoot anyone who you deem suspicious. That law has been on the books for a long time, and the courts have upheld it. New York City had a different law that, that sort of dovetailed with that regulation, which said, look, if you need to take your gun to a shooting range or to target practice, right, to sort of keep your skills sharp, you can do it. You can carry around your gun. You can't have it holstered to your hip, but you can have it on your person. And the, the city hoped that that would sort of limit people's ability to carry around their guns. But what happened was individuals would just take their guns with them uh, wherever they went, and if they were caught by the police, they'd say, hey, I'm not breaking the law. I'm on my way to a shooting range. Uh, whether that was plausible or not, it was often difficult to disprove. And so it sort of created a loophole in the regulatory system. That is why the city cracked down and passed the law that's currently in effect, which says, yes, you can take your firearm out of your home to a shooting range for target practice, but it has to be at one of the seven shooting ranges in the city limits of New York City. Uh, and at least that way, if an individual is very far away from his home, very far away from a shooting range, and the police find him with a gun, uh, they can really sort of poke holes in his story and enforce the law. Yeah. And what's interesting is that it's not just people who live in the city. Like when I dug around, I found Geraldo Rivera had done this story about a woman who traveled to New York City from Georgia and wanted to have her gun with her. She was caught up because when she tried to return to Georgia, she obviously was putting her gun on a plane and that was not going to a local shooting range. And so... Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and that story is not surprising. There are a lot of uh, state regulations or sort of a crazy quilt uh, of gun regulations in this country. So now the Supreme Court is taking aim at one little square of that quilt. This after years of refusing to hear major gun rights cases. Why? I think... Some of the conservative justices, like John Roberts and Anthony Kennedy until he retired, they were really fearful of striking down hundreds and hundreds of laws all at once and making every state look like Texas, where you have a fundamental right to carry your gun around openly or concealed wherever you want. And that's why I think that the case that they just took, this New York City case, is sort of a half step in that direction. It is an attempt to move the law toward public carry, toward a right to public carry, without issuing a sweeping decision that strikes down hundreds of laws all at once. Well, I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you sort of alluded to it there, like why they're taking the case now. I mean, obviously, we have a very different court right now. But what do we know about what Brett Kavanaugh thinks about gun control? We know he doesn't really like it. So when Brett Kavanaugh was uh, a judge on the D.C. Circuit, there was a challenge to D.C.'s ban on assault weapons under the Second Amendment. And the D.C. Circuit, in a decision by a very conservative judge, actually, upheld that ban and said it's perfectly lawful for, uh, for a government to conclude that certain kinds of weapons that are designed to murder a bunch of people in a small amount of time uh, should not be within its limits. Um, Brett Kavanaugh dissented, and he wrote what a lot of people consider to be uh, sort of an audition for the Supreme Court. This, he took this very expansive view of the Second Amendment and said, look, 
so long as there is a kind of gun that lots of people in this country like, that lots of people in this country buy, like the AR-15, the government loses its ability to ban that anywhere. So the fact that, basically, the fact that lots of people like AR-15s and buy them means that the city of Washington, D.C. has no constitutional authority to ban AR-15s and weapons like that. I think that Kavanaugh's decision there really marked him as more of a Second Amendment extremist than Justice Anthony Kennedy, uh, who retired, and then, of course, Kavanaugh took his spot. Now Kennedy's out of the picture. Kavanaugh is there in his stead. And so we definitely have four, possibly five votes to finally take the Second Amendment out of the home, like I said, out the front door and onto the streets. Well, is there any reason to think that one of the other conservative justices might sort of modify how they feel based on the makeup of the court? Yes, and that would be John Roberts, right? Roberts is an institutionalist. He doesn't want the court to lose its legitimacy or its institutional prestige. Uh, And I definitely think that Roberts could be more of a moderate on guns than his fellow conservative justices. I think he's a sort of reasonable person. He's not as much of a Federalist Society lackey as the other four conservative justices, right? He doesn't go to their big conferences. He doesn't get a standing ovation from them. And he tries to strike compromises or middle grounds where he feels there's ideological room for it. So I do think it's possible that Roberts would balk at establishing a fundamental right to take your gun everywhere. But I don't really think there's any doubt that Roberts will vote to strike down the New York City law. Uh, I think to him, that's just too restrictive. Uh, It doesn't allow people to protect themselves effectively in the home because they're so limited in where they can take their guns. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see if the conservative faction splinters. I could absolutely see Roberts writing a narrow opinion, striking down the New York City law, and another justice like Kavanaugh or Gorsuch or Thomas writing a concurrence that says, yeah, I agree, but we should take this a whole lot farther and strike down every public carry ban as well. So this New York City gun law, it's pretty narrow. Mark thinks a Supreme Court ruling on its constitutionality, that'll probably also be pretty narrow. But even so, this ruling could give lower courts the justification for expanding Second Amendment rights. And this is happening while the Trump administration and the Republican-controlled Senate is doing a pretty great job of packing the courts. It is very, very clear that the vast majority of Trump's judicial nominees take a sweeping view of the Second Amendment. They were sort of hatched in Federalist Society labs to support the Scalia view of the Second Amendment, to believe that the right to gun ownership is basically unlimited, to view it as a corollary to free speech, you know, that the government only gets to limit this right in very narrow and limited circumstances. And, you know, state legislators today may think, yeah, the the wind's at our back, we're finally going to do something about gun violence, but the laws that they pass are going to be subject to the scrutiny of these judges, and they're going to be on the bench for 20, 30, 40, 50 more years. Hmm. It's harsh to say these are like what federal society hatchlings, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's important to recognize that even if 
the judiciary had never gotten involved with the Second Amendment, even if the Supreme Court had never established an individual right to bear arms, there would still be a ton of guns in this country. The problem already exists. The gun culture already exists. The Supreme Court has struck down exactly two gun laws, and they were the two most stringent in the country, handgun bans uh, in D.C. and Chicago. Most of the country's gun laws are not and will not be affected by the judiciary because they're already extremely permissive. And so even though it's important to talk about this stuff through the legal lens, there is still very much a cultural lens here and a political one that suggests to me that if you only focus on judges and you only rail about the Second Amendment, you're kind of missing the forest for the trees. All right, Mark Joseph Stern, thank you so much for telling me all about it. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris. Our supervising producer is Mary Wilson. Our senior producer is Jason DeLeon. And our brand new assistant producer is Anna Martin. Welcome to the team, Anna. Big shout out to all of our new listeners from Stitcher, who picked What Next as a featured show this week. So sweet of you guys to do that. Thank you. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Talk to you Tuesday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, I'm Josh Levine. My podcast, The Queen, tells the story of Linda Taylor. She was a con artist, a kidnapper, and maybe even a murderer. She was also given the title The Welfare Queen, and her story was used by Ronald Reagan to justify slashing aid to the poor. Now, it's time to hear her real story. Over the course of four episodes, you'll find out what was done to Linda Taylor, what she did to others, and what was done in her name. The the great lesson of this, uh, for me, is that people will come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are. Subscribe to The Queen on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now.